Music makes up a central part of our daily lives, from streaming songs on our phones to trying to secure tickets to one of our favorite artists' concerts. These and other activities drive the global music market, a multi-billion dollar industry that has undergone massive transformations in the past five years. The rise of subscription and streaming services like Spotify and Apple Music, the continuing decline in sales of CDs and digital tracks, and the surprising return of LPs are just a few examples of a rapidly shifting international industry. So what does the future of music in the 21st century look like? If there's one man who has an idea, it's six-time Grammy-nominated DJ, singer, songwriter, and producer, Cascade. The stage name of record producer and remixer Ryan Radden, Cascade rose to prominence during the resurgence of American Progressive House in the late 2008, early 2009. He has since released nine studio albums, created remixes for everyone from Lady Gaga to Beyonce, and performed hundreds of headlining shows a year for a decade running. His latest full-length album, Automatic, claimed the number two spot on the Billboard Dance Electronic Albums chart, commanded a top 15 placement on the US digital chart, and amassed over 50 million streams on Spotify in less than a year's time. I've been through this transition of, hey, we can sell lots of CDs, we can't sell any CDs, people steal music, so we have no money, we can't pay you. To now, the streaming is, is real. The labels have money again, and that's good, because I think that they can get behind the creativity and that helps things flourish. Cascade joins the Ivy podcast to reflect on how exactly he grew into an iconic music producer. Please enjoy our conversation with Cascade. You're listening to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. For more information about the Ivy community and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us at membership at ivy.com. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is brought to you by Zola, makers of the delicious all-natural coconut water and acai juice beverages. Early on Zola in my career, I was in a session live and in the a good friend of my Finyard sent me to me and I kind of had this talk with me. He's like, man, your, your tracks play. are really only awesome. You know your next move. But he's like, and only songs kind of come and go. With uh, plant powered you know, tracks come and go. To learn and I was, more, visit LiveZola.com. I'd be into one thing one month, and the next month I'd be like, oh, that's passe, I'm onto this sound, you know? And that's very much like a DJ's mentality. You're always onto the next record. Um, anyway, he was a great songwriter, kind of took me under his wing and said, you know what, songwriting is where it's at. Um, you know, you should sit in sessions and work with songwriters. And I started doing that. Um, and I kind of, my grandma was a, an amazing poet, and my dad was a great writer, so I kind of was like, I, I think I can do this. I enjoyed writing. Um, so I was like, you know, I need to try my hand at this. So I think kind of over the last 25 years, there's been this transition from really being interested in sonics uh, to more about it being about the lyrics and melody. Um, and really, I kind of hit my stride with my first record, It's You, It's Me, was where it kind of struck this balance. I thought, oh, if I can make it sonically interesting in this space that I think is forward thinking, um, and then marry that with strong songs. Um, and really, that was the whole concept of Cascade. Uh, and that was the idea. I mean, like, I need to make music. And that was, this is, I was living in San Francisco at the time, and this whole wave of kind of like new house or deep house was happening. And I was in the midst of that. So there were other like-minded individuals around me and other studios that were kind of having this similar idea. Um, this is when like Sneaker Pimps was coming out and Solstice was signed to Ohm Records. Um, anyway, so it was a really interesting time in San Francisco. And I fit in with these people and we were kind of thinking the same thing and producing similar kind of music. So, so what you're saying is there's nobody like you. <laughs> <laughs> See, they're laughing because they know the lyrics. <laughs> Yes. You know she's been waiting on that. I have. I've been waiting. You got it. You got it in now. I've been waiting. In fact, he told me to say that. He's like, save it for the crowd. I was like, oh. 
single one. Thank you. You're single out. Anyway. So, so, so tell, t- tell me about this collaboration process. You work with some of the biggest names in, in the business. How How is that experience for you? Um, usually it's cool. Usually it's cool. <laughs> Yes, um, the the big people that I've worked with typically um, it's on remix stuff. Right. Um, really early on in my career, people saw that oh, this guy's producing vocal-based dance music, and I, I think early on in dance music, people were trying to take singles that didn't have a lot of traction on the radio, but hey, it's a good song. Let's have this guy reproduce it or remix it, and then it could get played in the nightclubs. Cool people hang on at nightclubs. And if the DJ play, DJ's playing that, then like maybe it'll get to radio. I think this was the initial idea. So I was doing a lot of remixes. I mean, I've remixed, I don't know, everybody it feels like at one point or another. Um, you know, from Beyonce to Gaga to you know, all sorts of stuff, I mean. More recently, um, Imagine Dragons was the last remix I did, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, and I enjoy that process because it's, um, it's something's already created, that song's already there, and I kind of work backwards, okay, cool, how can I take this song and make it something that I would use uh, potentially in a show or something that I would want to listen to on, you know, in my car. Who, who would be a dream collaboration for you? Um, I don't, you know, that's always such a tough question for me. Uh, You know, Lana Del Rey is one of those people that's always kind of out there. Every time I hear one of her songs, I'm like, man, I love your voice, but just let me hang out with you in the studio for a minute. Yeah. (laughs) I got some ideas. I have some ideas, man. But we'll we'll put that out there. We'll see if we can can make that happen. All right. She's here in the audience. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Make that happen. So tell me a little bit about where you kind of see the future of music going. And you've been in this for a long time. You've been at the cutting edge. You've been very innovative in this field. Where do you see the future of music going? Um, It's a really broad question. I think on the business side, which is maybe what you guys are interested in. I don't know. Uh, it's for most of my career labels have been broke i've been through this transition of hey we can sell lots of cds we can't sell any cds people steal music so we have no money we can't pay you uh to now the streaming is is real you know spotify has something like i think it's over 50 million subscribers um so they have the labels have money again and that's good because i think that they can get behind the creativity and that helps things flourish Um, because it's really hard to create when you're just stone cold broke and nobody believes in you. That's a hard time. It makes for great art, but um, it it is a challenge. Uh, So it's good to see that the money's kind of coming back into the industry and I think it's exciting and I think we're at the beginning of that. and I think just over the next 10 years, we're gonna see the explosion of all these um, streaming-based uh, platforms work and uh, more money's gonna flow through to the artists. And um, you know, I think that's just gonna be a really exciting thing and, and change, change what we know. I think there'll be a lot more people out there um, you know, making great music. Uh, and I think the other big thing, and I was just talking with, um, Skylar Gray, we just recently had a session, and I was like, man, it was so different, you know, when we were kids, it was like, famous people, and not famous people, and there's this (laughs) huge gap, right? And I think with social media, it's kind of bridged that gap a lot, and now these people are so much closer uh, than they ever were. I mean, I was a huge Morrissey fan, and I'd go to his shows when he came to town, but it's like, really, I didn't know that much about the guy. I'd get like a copy of Enemy, because he'd be on the the cover of Music Express, I'm like, this dude's on the cover, I love him, and I'd read the article. And then I'd put it away and six months later take it out and read it again. Like, oh my gosh, he's amazing. He's still amazing. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I knew to read about this guy. So um, it was a lot harder to get information. Um, now bridging that gap has changed things. And, uh, you know, so now there's like a lot less really famous people out there, but more kind of famous people out there. So I think that's changed the landscape of music. You, you've done an amazing job of really being able to capture a, a global audience. What do you what do you think the key is to engaging on a, on a global scale? Um, that, speaking directly to the audience, I mean, social media for me has been a huge thing. I'm looking at some of my fans here. I recognize you guys from Twitter. I know I know these a lot of these people. 
started the relationship with them, whether it was Instagram or Facebook or whatever the platform was, but um, it was cool because I could just speak directly to people and that was extremely rewarding for me. Um, well, you've done this Cascade Connect. I mean, you're really about connecting yeah, with, yeah. with your fans. I, I am. <laughs> yes. The one thing, and I've I've seen you at live in Miami. You look like you are having the best time. I mean, well, you look really focused when you're working, but you just look like you are loving what you're doing. I, I, okay, I'm glad you're saying that because I could have gone. I could have gone anyway. <laughs> Frozen. No, you, just... you see me live in Miami. Oh yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, you talk about the the quintessential, you know, nightlife scene. I mean, this is what you're in and out of, headlining 150 to 200, you know, shows in and out of some of the biggest clubs in in the world. That's a that's a that's a crazy world. But you seem to really love to get in there and do what you do. Um, I love what I do so much. I mean, Naomi, my wife, is like. Just stop doing that for a minute. And I'm like, oh, sorry, because I'm so engrossed in what I do and I love it, but none of it ever seems like a chore. Most of it. Okay. <laughs> so every once in a while, there's when I have to fly like from one coast to the next coast to the next coast, I'm like, okay, this part kind of sucks, but like, everything else is awesome. Um, yeah, I love what I do. I'm, I'm extremely blessed. I think um, because my rise was very steady and slow that I really appreciate where I am now. Um, not to say that, you know, the guy who goes like this overnight, uh, I'm sure he appreciates it too, but I think for me, I've really um, been fortunate that way to, to, you know, see this rise over, you said 10 years, I thank you very much. It's really probably well, closer to 20. <laughs> well, the 10 years of playing awesome. that many shows. And, uh, yeah, and but 2003 lot. is when I really kind of started to hit the road diligently um, and kind of start on that trek of, so, I mean, this is 14 years, but I was gigging before that. I mean, even in the 90s, I did my first show overseas and, um, you know, it just wasn't, <laughs> it was much more of a chore. Like, I slept on the promoter's floor and, you know, I, I haven't done it all. Like, here's my couch, man. All right, dude, let's Did do you this. ever have those moments where you're like, uh, maybe this is more of a passion and hobby, not a real job? You ever had those kinds of thoughts in your mind? I, I mean, I've always had that thought in my mind. I, I've told Naomi that. She always tells that story uh, where, you know, she's like, when, you know, when are you going to get serious? When are you, you know, what's the deal? What's the plan? And I'm like, I don't have a plan. Like, Keep doing this. You know, I'm going to see how this pans out. Like, let's see what, let's see what music takes me. Um, and I think that was because I didn't want to admit to myself that I had these goals and aspirations. Because when you do that, when you like write something down, it's very scary for me because I feel like, oh, then you have to admit failure when you don't hit that mark. So for me, I was always just very loose and like, okay, I want to achieve these things. And I never put a timeline on it. I was always like, cool, I'm just going to continue to make music and all. My kind of thinking was I'll figure out a way to, to pay the rent or, you know, to whatever, to pay the mortgage or whatever that was, you know, to buy clothes, to put food on the table. So I was always... It's worked out okay for you. Yeah. I, I think I see a little potential for you in this industry. It worked out. Yeah, it did. Yeah. I think lucky, part, for lucky for Naomi. Lucky for Naomi, right? Which, I, Naomi sitting here in the front row is an absolute rock star. I, I love this girl. And they've got three beautiful girls. Is that hard for you to balance that personal life and then you're just out there grinding it all over the world? People don't see, and I've seen you as a, as a dad. <laughs> okay, Naomi, let me explain. <laughs> let me, let me Naomi's explain. like, give me the mic. <laughs> Hand it over. Sometimes it's hard, but listen, this is life, and the striking that balance is, uh, listen, my family's the most important thing to me. 
you know, what we do here. And this is just stuff to keep us busy and have fun and like whatever. Family is really important. So I always put that first and everything kind of works out. Um, some days and weeks it's much harder to achieve that balance. Sure, of course, I'd be lying if I said anything different. Um, but it's what keeps me grounded because I get that question like, well, dude, you're flying around on private planes and it's eating, you know, hanging out in suites and doing this and eating caviar and whatever. And then you show back up here and you're like mowing the lawn. I'm like, somebody's got to pick the weeds, you know? Somebody has to. Listen, I come back home and I have three daughters and Naomi is like, empty the trash. And of course, I empty the trash. And this is this is what you do in a relationship. So it's yeah. And that's why it works. Yeah. And that's great. Yeah, and soccer. I've seen you out and there. And soccer. I'm a soccer dad. It's like, I got three daughters that love soccer, so you see me out there. I know. The knee highs. It's, really, it's a really good look. I'm all about it. Outfit. Yeah. It's really nice. I'm the noisy dad on the side. Get the ball! Hustle! <laughs> Hustle! That's right. So what, what do you look at for your future and how you're going to continue to build your brand and the sorts of things that you really want to do? In the next few years, um, you launched Sunsoaked. That was big for you. Uh, launched Sunsoaked. That was big. That's a very specific thing. Um, we talk about that. I mean, this is a very long question. Though. I, I, what I really want to do, in a very broad sense, and I hope I'm not offending anyone when I say this, uh, I think dance music is still kind of in its infancy really to the public. I mean, listen, we've been around since disco and it's matured and fully incubated and ready for uh, these large audiences. And you can tell that because the festivals are huge and concerts are massive and I'm playing to tens of thousands of people. And honestly, if, if I could play 300 shows a year, I, I would, you know, I just physically can't do that. It's too hard on me, you know. But um, I think for me, I want to see that next wave of dance music. I want to help usher in. I, I think the stuff that broke through was the very obvious kind of surface stuff. And I'm not, I'm not, that's not a diss at all. I, I mean, I'm a huge fan and friends with many of these guys that really broke through. Um, but I think there is a whole other tier, um, which I consider myself a part of, that is extremely talented and doing stuff that's really forward thinking that might not fit pop radio, but still awesome and I think we're on the cusp of having some of that stuff kind of like wave out and, and, and reach a wider audience and that's really exciting to me because it's like cool I mean when I heard Geta the first time I was like man this is going to be freaking huge I was in Amsterdam and I saw him play uh, when Love Takes Over and I, I was just like you know I'm standing in a room with like 30,000 people and people are losing their mind like, yeah, I think this could be a hit <laughs> This guy's going to be a big deal. You know? <laughs> and I was saying, I was actually hanging out with Kathy Guetta. Uh, they were married at the time, and she was promoting the show. And I was like, man, this is, I really like this song. I was a huge fan of the song. And I'm like, and she's like, do you think it'll cross over on American radio? And I'm like, I, I, I think this could be the first, like, dance, legitimate dance song that could break through. Um, but I think there's a lot more out there and still a lot of talented producers. I mean, really, this next wave of guys is just uh, all these young kids. I mean, from Martin and Garrett to Lewis the Child, like these guys are doing stuff that's just incredible. So when you're making music, do you go into your little hole? How do you do this? What's this process like for you? Um, <laughs> Yes, my studio could be called a hole for many, many years because <laughs> it was kind of a hole or it would be on the kitchen table. Um, uh, now I have a really beautiful studio in Santa Monica and um, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to come on this side of the 405. I love you guys, but it's difficult for me to get here Actually, this was. This was really... Um, uh, yeah, just go there and hang out and I mean... Never I got a bunch of arcade games. It's, I screw around until I figure out something that I like. And then I go play a centipede, and then I come back and mess around. And, and that's what I do all day. People are, people are always like, why don't you stream more from there and do this more from there and do that more from there? And I'm like, I'm always concerned that the stuff that I'm working on might not come out or it'll come out for somebody else. So I'm always very scared to show my studio and I don't like show a lot of that process because um, I write and work on 
music for other people, and I just never know what's going to end up, or if it's not going to come out at all. Uh, I mean, nobody like you. Uh, it, it's this is I've had this song for almost a year, um, you know, and it's very, and that's the most difficult process to to finish something and love it, and then want to share it, but you can't. Um, but that's I think this is part of the reasons I love social media so much. It's so it's so immediate. I can share an idea. I can say something that I think is witty or funny. Like my salad is great today. <laughs> you know, and then people respond to me, and I love that. I wish music could be more like that sometimes, but um, it's not. <laughs> so. so, who do you make music for? Is this about you? Is this about trying to please your fans? Is this about trying to get somewhere? <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, we spoke a little bit about this before. I, I think for me. Gonna, I think this might sound bad, so I'm trying to think oh, I want to say it. this. Oh, go for it. It's a friendly audience. Uh, I really create for myself. I feel like a need to write and make music. Um, similar to if the garage is really has a bunch of clutter, I feel like, oh, man, i got to go sweep and clean this garage up. It's just making music is part of what I am and part of who I am. And I go into the studio and I make music, and cool. I that satisfies something in me, right? But, so whether five people hear it or 5,000 people or five million people, it, it's no different. It's extremely satisfying when the crowd's big and people love it and they say, hey, I love this song and I'm gonna tattoo those lyrics on my forehead or whatever that is, that's awesome. Because <laughs> it's to me, it's like, oh my gosh, somebody connected to something I'd make. But even if it was just my mom who's like, I love that song, I'd probably still be writing music. You know, I'd probably still be doing it on some level. Not, not as much as I do it now, because I'd have to have some other job. <laughs> but I'd still be doing it on the weekend and, you know, loving it. How do you feel when you're playing to those big crowds? Do you get nervous? Are you feeding off the energy? What's that experience like for you? There's some nerves uh, in the beginning. I'm always like, is it gonna work? Like, is this stuff turned on? That's usually, Matt's my tour manager. He's got a big beard. If anyone's been to my show, you see him walk around, beard and that. And I'm always like, does it work? Does this stuff work? You know, like, that's my biggest fear. But once I get out there and like a song or two into it, I'm just in the zone. That's like my safe place. That's where I feel completely comfortable. That's like, okay, this is what I've spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. I think. I told somebody I think that I've played around 5,000 shows and the dude freaking flipped out. He's like, that can't be right. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go back and readdress that number. <laughs> but I, I definitely think I'm approaching that number. Um, and, and that's crazy to think. And I mean, anywhere from a 12-hour show to a 60-minute show or whatever that is, you know, and plenty of stuff in between. I mean, I've, so for me, I feel very comfortable. One of the hardest things I did uh, touring-wise was... Uh, at the Atmosphere Tour, um, <laughs> I released a song called Atmosphere that was the first single off the album called Atmosphere. And then I went on the Atmosphere Tour, and we're sitting down at a creative meeting, and everyone's like, all right, man, what are we going to do? We're going to build this set, we're going to make this thing, and we could blow some smoke out, and you know, how do you, what's the set going to be like? How, what are you going to, what's the vibe? What are you going for? And I'm like, well, I kind of have to come out and sing Atmosphere, because I was, this is the first song I'm on. So I'm like, I think I have to walk out and actually sing the song. I mean, everything's leading up to that. I'm like, man, I kind of just screwed myself. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not trying to be a singer, really. Like, I sing, sure, yeah, I can sing, whatever, you know. Um, but it was really hard for me because I had to come out in front of the DJ booth, you know. I'm standing out there in front of this thing, naked, bare. I'm used, I'm used to this massive booth in front of me. Um, and that's like my safety zone, right? Like there's this thing between me and them and I feel very comfortable. Uh, so during the Atmosphere Tour, um, yeah, it was really hard for me. It took me a show or two to get used to. I was like, that first, <laughs> this is a good story, and I'm not sure if I've told this, maybe I have, I don't know. I was freaking out so bad in Miami. That was the first show. Um, the American Airlines Arena, you know, whatever, it's like 10 or 12,000 people freaking out. And I'm backstage, like, pacing. And no joke, I had just gotten in-ear monitors the day before. They FedExed them. I got fitted for these monitors. And I grew up singing, and I'm comfortable singing in front of small audiences, whatever. And I got the in-ear monitors. I've never worn those before. 
And I was like, this sounds so weird. I hate it. I, can't, I don't know. I can't understand. I can't hear myself. And so we're doing rehearsal and the doors open, the people pile in. I'm back there practically. I was sick. I was so nervous I was sick. And I couldn't remember the words to the song. This is a song that I wrote. <laughs> so I'm back there like scribbling the words to atmosphere, taping them to the ground. So I'm standing there in Miami and like all these people out there, I'm like, uh. <laughs> no, I didn't do it that bad. I glanced down to make sure. But once I got in, but, but once, like I said, once I got in the rhythm and it was fine, by the second verse, I was like, okay. Why were you so nervous? Because it was just outside of what you something done? You know, but I loved it. I, I, like, I like doing new things, so. Nice. After I was like, yeah, let's do that every show. That's so awesome. we're going to have you singing more. Are we going to see more of you singing in the I future? I don't know, maybe. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it, I love it, I love it. That's fantastic. We're going to open it up to uh, audience questions here in a few. <laughs> Oh, shocking, we've got a few questions already. Um, and, 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 let's see, here we go. We'll grab a couple of these. I'm gonna go way back there. Can we grab that guy right there? We're not gonna go Come on up, come on up, line up. Come on, make sure we can hear you, hello. I don't know if we're gonna Welcome get through all of you. We'll have a few of them. Please guys, try to, to, to keep it concise and short. Sure. Hey there, uh, fellow veteran DJ. Um, Excellent. So I'm sure you have it fine-tuned now, but early on in your career, I would have I would consider you a disruptor because at the time music was a little heavier, a little harder. So my question in terms of the evolution of your sound and also not losing yourself in remix projects, how did you keep the discipline to keep what definitely has become a signature style? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure from people saying, hey, we can book you if you change your style a little bit. And then again, ditto with remixing when you take on another track. How do you keep from going down that rabbit hole and, and still keep the Cascade style in there? Thank you. Great question. I love that. Um, this is a very tricky thing. Once again, I think there was some luck involved with that. I made my first record. It saw some success in the underground amongst like dance music peers. People were like, "Yeah, this is cool," and I'm like, "All right," but it didn't. It didn't like bubble up to pop culture or anything like that. But that's not what we were shooting for in 2003. It was like, "Cool, man, a couple club DJs. This guy in Minneapolis is playing it. I can go play out there. The kids in the club know it." So I was satisfied with that. That was enough for me. So. Just because I, I don't know, lack of imagination. I don't know what the problem was, but I just wasn't thinking like stadiums or whatever. I was just like, I'm just going to make some cool music that I like. Maybe some other people will play it. So I wasn't trying to satisfy anyone outside of my little circle of friends and what was happening in San Francisco, really. Um, and then, I mean, even by that second album, there was kind of a style happening between those two records. And I just was like, I'll continue down this path for better or for worse. It wasn't by design. It wasn't intentional. I was like, this is my sound and my style and it represents me. Cool. I'm just going to like stick with it. And then again, it was just like working backwards and hustling to find ways to kind of make that work, you know, because I'm like, there's little pockets of people this is resonating with. Most, mostly California, <laughs> but, but I'll, you know, just keep cultivating that. And then the remix thing is always tricky. Sorry. The remix thing is tricky because the label in ours will call it and be like, I want you to make it sound like this song that you have. And I'm like, but I mean, I, I did that song already. <laughs> How much are you paying me? <laughs> Cause I can kind of make it sound like that, you know, and it's just, Kind of working within that framework, you know, listening to them, but in the end, making it my own. Thank well, you. Like so. Sarah said, I think it worked out. I think it worked. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll, we'll go here real quick. You're holding it. Yes. <laughs> go ahead. Hello. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for providing such an intimate experience. I'm a huge fanboy, amongst others, and fangirls. Um, so, I'm lucky enough to be working with a fantastic startup that's a, in the music industry, total rocket ship. We just landed like investment from major Silicon Valley investors. And 
contingent upon becoming like next Spotify or whatnot is gaining access to large artists like it's yourself. Not only access, we do have access, but actually speaking to them into a way that is really appealing, considering you get like, approached for partnerships and whatnot all the time. So what advice do you have for uh, you know great companies that are trying to get through the noise, get through the crowd um, in, in approaching large artists? I think from the artist's standpoint, from my vantage point, the artists want other platforms to win, right? Like, as much I love Spotify and they treat me really well. I mean, they put me on billboards all over the country this, this week, so I love those guys. But it's cool. I think it's it, to have a healthy marketplace, it's important to have, and I'm sure they'd agree with me if they're sitting right here. It's like, dude, if there's just one streaming platform, and would be a slave to the rhythm of whatever their drum they're beating. So I think it's good and healthy that there's other people out there and it's cool that iTunes is doing their thing and each each one of these platforms seems to be uh, fulfilling a niche that's, you know, I feel like, you know, Beats One Radio on Apple is really strong and that's kind of like where they're headed. So I, I think there's a lot of room for other stuff. You know, now that SoundCloud's gone, it's like, I don't even, well, Sorry. I know they just got a bunch of money, but they're basically they're, they're having a very hard time. I mean, I say they're gone because I put something up and like a day later it's pulled down. So for me, they're gone. They're not in my everyday happenings anymore. Um, but it's hard for DJs to put up mixes. Like I want to put up a show at Coachella or a show, whatever I played this summer, you know, and I can't. They take the stuff down. I put it up. It's gone a day later. They're like, that's illegal. I'm like, all right. And it is. I don't know the copyrights of these things, you know? But I'm always like, I just kept, for a long time, I just kept doing it. And then I was like, oh, I'll put it up on my own FTP. And then somebody would get mad. And I'm like, all right. I mean, so I think there's a lot of room for growth in, in the streaming industry. And it's exciting. Like, I think it's a really exciting time because for once, it's kind of coming back around to the money's trickling down to the people who are actually creating the art. All right. Thank you so much. We'll go right over here. Hey, so first off, a fun Cascade story. I took my mom to see you for her 60th birthday. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. She said it was the best 60th birthday she's ever had. Yes. Uh, my second question is, given that social media has connected you to the globe, are there any markets that you've heard from or played in that you're like, whoa, I can't believe like my music is reaching here? And second part, are there any markets that you have yet to play in that you're like, I got to get there? Um, the first part, I, when I played China for the first time, which I don't even remember when that was, I just remember like, oh, we're going to China, I'm sure it's some club, like whatever, we show up, it's a festival, it's 70,000 people. So, I mean, this stuff is printed out for me, it's just I'm not paying attention because I'm bouncing around. So <laughs> I mean, on my team's doing their job, but sometimes I'm like, where are we? What are we doing? Oh, we're in China. What? It's a festival. What? These are all Chinese people? This is crazy. <laughs> Anyway, it was crazy the first time I played there. And I, what, I played Guangzhou last year. And it's, you know, it's a city of like 8 million or something. I don't know what it is. It's a massive city. And I played a festival and there's 50,000 people there. And sure enough, like I'm cutting out the volume on Last Chance. And these people are singing along. And I'm like, this is totally nuts. As I've never been here. And these, you know, people are like, I made a custom Cascade shirt. And I'm like, that's awesome. <laughs> Where are you from? I live here. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so it's crazy. And as far as where I want to go, I don't, you know, occasionally I'm flipping through other, you know, DJs or, you know, bands' profiles and I see they're playing somewhere and I'm like, oh, that'd be cool to go. But honestly, I'm so focused on from getting from one place to the other and taking out the garbage that I, <laughs> I don't have this list. I just, I don't know. That's great. Right. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Go ahead, man. Um, hi, I wanted to know, one, what's your favorite festival to play at? And two, as an artist, what's your an EDM artist, what's your perspective on the future of festivals or EDM festivals considering um, the challenges with the drug culture affiliated with it? Another great question. Um, favorite festival, no comment. <laughs> it's like picking your favorite child. That's if you guys, if there are no phones and no cameras in here, we'd have a real discussion. <laughs> There's no way. So you're like, Pasquale! <laughs> <laughs> what Cascade said! Like, or didn't say! 
So, um, I love all the festivals I play. Yeah. Good answer. Good you, answer. Listen, typically they all are amazing experiences and they each speak to different pockets of people. So, and really, there's a very short list of festivals that I do. Future festivals. Future festivals. Uh, this is what's happening in, in my mind. One person's take. Um, they're becoming more specialized, less. You know, you have the Coachellas and the and the and the you know the insomniac you know stuff, uh, EDC and you know these massive things. I think there's going to be less of those and more festivals that like what's this one down in San Diego? Uh, Cross. Yeah, that's more like hey man, we do this thing and you know what? Twenty thousand people is cool. That's all we want to do. We just got our thing happening over here. And I've been seeing that for a while in other countries. America, we're kind of. I love America, I'm American, but I'm like all about it, but we're a tad behind on the festival curve. Um, so I think it's gonna diversify and continue to grow, um, which is crazy. I mean, listen, 10 years ago, there were like three festivals, four festivals in America. I'm saying cross genre, EDM, whatever. Now it's like, dude, guys call me up. We got a festival in Ohio, 30,000 people. And I'm like, all right, dude, sweet. Let's go to Ohio. <laughs> so uh, there's just more and more of that happening. That's great. Thank you so much. Great question. All right. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Um, unfortunately, I haven't yet taken my mom to see you. But, um, <laughs> I'll be sure to do that on her next birthday. <laughs> next time, there's always another show. <laughs> yeah. But no, really, uh, the question I ask is actually on behalf of my brother, who's not here, but he's a DJ and a producer. He's been at the game a long time. He actually used to work at Satellite Records in New York, which I'm assuming you Sure, love Satellite, through. yeah. yeah. I've uh, records there many, many times in, in Atlanta when they are open. Yes. And he may have helped you, but... Um, <laughs> My question is, if you were coming up today, um, what would you focus on the most? If you were an artist that wanted to make it, would you focus more on your production, more on your social media, on your like, networking, your PR? What would you really put your effort behind the most? Amazing question, and my answer is the same today as it was when I got into this business 20 plus years ago. Um, all There's the music. The rest of it's just a sideshow. doesn't matter. Like, look, Martin Garrix, I remember when I met him, he just put out Animals and I was playing an ADE and Animals had come out like seven or eight days before then, uh, before then, not ADE, Tomorrowland in Amsterdam. So I'm over there and I, and I had played it at the Gorge the week before, I got it in on promo and I'd mashed it up with one of my songs and I played it and the place went freaking nuts and it was like the whole, for a week, it's like, what is that? What is this mashup? What's that remix? What is this? Martin Garrix, blah, blah, blah. So he's seeing this because it's just like constant stream. And he's like, thank you so much for playing and supporting my music. And I'm like, dude, he's standing there with his parents. This kid was 16 or 17 years old. <laughs> I mean, dude, and everyone in the world knows who this guy is now or anyone who's paying attention. Um, I mean, literally, his life changed after one song. Uh, really, there's only one thing that matters, and that's the music. Everything else is just noise. Just a super quick follow-up. Um, I'm glad you brought that up, because Animals is a great example of a huge breakthrough hit. So do you feel that is required to, to make it to the next level? Do you need that hit, or can you just be steadily producing good tracks over time? I mean, it just depends what you want. Listen, I did a steady succession over 20 years. It's time to work for me. Everyone's story and everyone's path to, to success is totally different. You can't stack me up to even 10 guys in my same industry, exact same guys, or even bands that are kind of in this space, and you can't say, oh, my curve looks like their curve, because they're all different. They're all... I mean, you just gotta kind of find your way. Um, and I know that's scary and hard for guys that are beginning, but if you love it, you'll figure it out, yeah? Thanks so much, appreciate it. We'll go right over here. Hi, Ryan, um, my name is Dennis. I'm a DJ and producer, really appreciate your art. Uh, and I have a quick question. Yes. Uh, would you listen to some of our songs? <laughs> I know, today. it's weird, but I'll, 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 Oh, wow. Not right now, but. So we get on a cool USB drive. That's good. So, so to be honest, people must pitch you their stuff all the time. I have like a dish full. Of things. <laughs> I listen to them, but then I keep them for you know for after if I ever need it. Uh, 
Anyway, thank you. Well, thank you, you. so much. That, that, yeah, people must all the time be sending you things. Sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was bold. I like that. Right. Hey there, Ryan. Thanks very much for coming out. Um, I'm a huge fan of your Redux shows, and I don't really know of any other DJs that have done that, where they take, uh, you know, they're still producing sort of their newer work, and then also in parallel are kind of performing stuff that's more evocative of their first work. And I just wanted to ask you kind of what inspired you to do that and what your experience has been with that. And bonus question, what's your favorite remix that another artist has done of one of your tracks? Ooh, bonus question. Ryan, bonus question. Uh, okay, let's get the first one because that's easier. <laughs> Uh, in 2012, I did, um, well, 2011, I did Identity, and that's kind of where the idea of redo, redux, however you want to say it, there's a lot of argument over the public, <laughs> um, I say redo, whatever. However, um, so in 2011, I kind of had that idea because I was playing on these massive stage in, in arenas. We were doing uh, sheds, they call them, they're outdoor with the lawn and the seats, and to me, I was missing kind of the DJ element of those shows. In 2012, uh, I did the Freaks of Nature tour, and in the cities that sold out, a lot of the promoters were like, yeah, you can play a club show after. And they're like, it's cool, dude, you'll bang it out, the big bangers, and then you can come and bang it out. And I'm like, ah, I'm not gonna bang it out for like 300 kids. <laughs> and I just kind of, in Sacramento, I played this show and it was you know, massive show in Sacramento and then I went to this club and it was for like 150 kids and I just was doing what I had been doing for the last 10, 15 years, like really housing it out and doing what I love and playing some of these older songs and people were freaking out. And I was like, man, this is, there's something here. Um, I mean, it's a longer discussion because when we do these elaborate, huge shows, there, there's an element of planning that happens. There has to be. I mean, dude, we invest millions into the stage and it's not like I'm going up there with just a USB stick, like, let me see what's on here. <laughs> it's not like that. We, we have big meetings and, you know, listen, and I'm a DJ at heart, and that's what I came up doing, so I'm always like pissing my team off because I'm always like, hey, curveball, you know, and kind of. <laughs> but, um, but with Redo, I'm like, literally, I am like, oh, I don't know, there's a thousand songs in it, let's see what happens, you know. Um, <laughs> and I really appreciate that style of DJing, and I, I love it. And uh, yeah, so I kind of launched the idea shortly after that. I did a string of after shows. We weren't calling it Redux, but that's what I was doing. They're like, he's playing classics, he's doing this, he's doing that. And I'm like, we should probably brand this something. And I came up with that idea in, t in 2012. But then it's weird because. I think there was like some EDM fatigue happening around that that next summer, 2013, because all these people were like, oh, I'm sick and tired of other artists. And it's been fun to be like, ah, we call it Redo, bro. You know? <laughs> we actually have a name for it. <laughs> but, you know, everyone's calling it their own thing, which is cool. I think a lot of people, after they did these massive arena shows, wanted to take it back to what they were doing before and just strip it down. And anyway, it became a thing. And that's good. And then, you know? Now I just kind of do it on the regular, something that kind of just exists there, and I go to it when I need it. What about the bonus question? Any thoughts on that? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Favorite redo? Well, Sid's always good. amazing. Every time he remixes one of his songs, I'm like, ah, this is awesome. Thank, thank you, dude. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> All right, next question right over here. Hey, what's up, Ryan? Uh, big fan. I'm Brad. Um, <laughs> I don't. I would love to go see you for my 60th birthday. I don't know if uh, that's ever going to happen, but hopefully. I saw you for my 30th, though, at uh, Encore Beach. Big. I love that setting. So. That was cool. <laughs> um, I'll keep it quick. Quick question. What was the first uh, DJ piece of DJ equipment that you ever bought, and what was the last? Ooh. Um... The first one was a turn turntable techniques turntable 1200. Um, that's kind of like the quintessential DJ item of the 80s. Uh, so yeah, turntable. Um, the last piece of, I mean, I buy equipment all the time. Uh, but it's more like synth and studio based these days. What did I recently buy? I just bought. Um, a Roland drum machine. They're reintroducing all this stuff. The 303. I mean, I don't know. I bought that. I bought a bunch of, a bunch of that old Roland gear that's not old. It's new. That looks old. Um, 
Yeah, but as far as DJ stuff, what I don't I don't know. Well, it's like, my, the last thing I got given to me was my the bag that I designed. That's a DJ thing. I carry that to the gigs. <laughs> headphones. I buy headphones all the time. I go through them all the time. They get sweaty and smelly, and I have to throw them out. <laughs> Good question. I know. Thank That's you. Great question. I used to throw them out. All right, we're going to go right over here. Hi. Hi, I'm Chad. Um, my question for you goes back to when you first sat down and you started you talked about following your passion and going off the, the track from the jocks and where they go. So in the process of following your passion, were there ever points where you hit like really scary times where you're afraid and how'd you deal with them to keep going to get where you are? So your question, if I understand it, is how did I keep going through those times? It was difficult. How did my passion guide me through this? More or less, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, there were only a couple really difficult moments. I mean, in, start, start in San Francisco, when I left my job at home, I worked at home records for a while. When I first got to the sea, I didn't know anybody, and I'd shot them music. So... I was kind of like, hey, I just showed up at their door like, you guys have a job, I live here now, like, you need some help, whatever. Um, you can pay me in records. <laughs> uh, that was when I left there, I didn't have any kind of safety net, I had no income, so I had to make a living like selling music, writing, producing, selling music, or playing a show. Um, it was a scary time, but I don't know. I, you know, Naomi believed in me, and I was like, "Yeah, this could work. Why not?" I, I don't know. I was just young and stupid. Uh, I mean, I was scared, but uh, I don't know. Not scared enough to stop doing it. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Um, we'll do one more here. Hi. Hello. Uh, one Utah alum to the other. Hello. Very nice to meet you. Thanks. I'm Christy, and uh, I've been a fan of yours for well over 12 years. And my question is actually very similar to the gentleman that just asked the question, but um, in times of defeat, because ultimately we all have those times, it doesn't matter if you're creating something you, that you love or if you're working hard, whatever you're doing, you're working hard. So what, what kind of did you rely on to go through those hard times? Was it, was it on your wife? Was it faith? Was it um, knowing that there's more out there, that you're pursuing what you really wanted to do? Do you mind explaining that a little bit further? I think it was all of those things. Leaning on my Naomi, my kids, my family, whatever, my faith, uh, just thinking that I could do it to some level. And then I think also just trying to be clever. I've, in the beginning of my career, even before I was making music, um, I mean, I owned a record store for a short time. I'm like, man, I could sell my own records in the record store. I'll just start selling everyone's records and I'll put mine in there and sneak them in. <laughs> um, you know, I just, I just felt like, you know what, it'll work itself out, and I can't bother myself with the small things. I just got need to keep plowing ahead, and I think that that worked. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I'm extremely lucky, very fortunate, and a lot of things clicked when they needed to. Uh, there were some rough times, and definitely some bounce checks along the way, and some scary moments for sure. And. Uh, I, I don't know, but just kept moving ahead. I don't. And I have to say, Naomi definitely supported me financially through the the, the early beginnings. Like, luckily, I was like, okay, it's a good thing you're smart. Have a good time. <laughs> I think she was a good egg. <laughs> but she was like, at what point do you make money? Because <laughs> there's this handbag. <laughs> That's what, that's what all I want to say, actually. Yeah. All right, we're going to take one more quick question. Oh, do, do, oh sorry. Oh. Sorry. Hi, I'm Gil. One thing I really enjoyed hearing was how much you love writing music, and I think your connection with your own songs comes out during your shows, and it makes the shows a much better experience for everybody. But then there's this whole other subsect of DJs that are rumored to be releasing songs that are ghostwritten. And my question is whether you think that takes away from the electronic music scene and the experience that shows when DJs do that. Uh, great question, complex question. Um, yeah, I mean, simply put, sure. I think it takes away from the scene. There's questions about ghostwriting. Um, does it take away from the authenticity of the scene? Yes, um, but, but I also think it helps the scene because when I was young and I needed money, I was like, I'll make a song for anybody. You can 
call me Fred. I don't care. <laughs> you need music and you'll pay me. I need to make my rent. Um, I'll help you out. Sure. Um, so I think it's important on that level to kind of keep things moving forward. Um, but I, th I think one of the reasons I've been successful is that I've really kind of honed my craft and put so much time and effort into um, either writing or crafting or producing uh, a new would uh, resonate. It's like, okay, cool, if I didn't write the song and somebody pitches me a song, like, hey man, I wrote this song, I really love what you do, and I listen to it, I'm like, oh, this is garbage. But what if they're like, I wrote this song, I don't know how to produce the music, but I think it's something you would like. And sure enough, every once in a while, one of those comes along, and I'm like, this is a beautiful song, man. I would love to work on the arrangement, make the music behind this, and make it something, you know, either a collaboration or something that I put out. Um, and, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think now, as opposed to 10, 10 years ago, there wasn't any money in dance music, so that problem didn't really exist. Uh, you know, that, that ghost writing, that word wasn't there. That was something that was saved for pop stars. Um, now that there's a lot more money in dance music, I feel like, sure, some of the authenticity has been lost, but um, that's the downside. Uh, but the upside is, is so many more people are listening um, I mean, whatever, dude, it's a Thursday night, we're here in Hollywood hanging out talking to you guys, you know? It's like, two years ago, I could like, Mom, uh, I'm here, I want to talk to you. Like, I could, <laughs> Call me back. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just cool that so many people are listening. You, you, know, you know, I want to end with that. We can see, you know, the level of excitement here in this room and obviously the fans that have connected with you. What's a piece of advice that you can leave us with for inspiration? You know, people are shooting in their own worlds to achieve their dreams. You really epitomize have, having reached yours and, and beyond. What advice can you leave for us that you've... I, I mean, I think I kind of hit on it before, um, but just really simply, you know, f find what you love to do and then kind of work backwards, figure out how you can take care of yourself and the people around you that you love uh, next, right? Because, um, you know, it's just the age-old thing. If, if you love what you do, it's not really work, and you'll be able to put all of yourself into it. Um, you know, I had a passion uh, for making music, and um, I figured out how to make that work somehow. Uh, you know, and it wasn't an easy thing. Uh, you know, when I talk to young kids, they're like, how do you, I'm here, you're there, how do I get there? And I'm like, I don't know, go play 5,000 shows, man. <laughs> I'll see you in 20 years. Yeah. But, but everyone's path is different, and I think, uh, you know, do what you love, and you'll figure something out. How can we best support you, Ryan? Uh, yeah, go check out the new EP. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life. And our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.